0: We salute the work you're doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, Coming Up for Air. Good morning,
1: everybody. This is Laurie McDougall back on Coming Up for Air. I'm sitting here with my co-host, Kayla Solomon. Good morning, Kayla.
2: Good morning, Laurie.
1: So, Kayla, why don't you introduce to everybody exactly what we're going to be talking about today?
2: I actually think that this is possibly one of the most important things that we talk about, which is how to communicate without giving advice, how to communicate without telling somebody what to do, how to communicate in a more open-ended way, as opposed to shift the conversation in a way that you want it to be shifted into.
1: How do you communicate in a way that you're not driving your own agenda?
2: Exactly. For somebody's bus. Exactly. So basically it's like that movie where the person was driving out of control and somebody else jumped in and tried to drive. In this case, you're not you're gonna try not to drive. That's basically the image. So we what we want to do today is give you the toolbox, another toolbox to use, because knowing that you don't want to drive your own agenda is one thing, but how do you do it is a different question.
1: You know what? I think this is one of the most Difficult concepts for family members to understand. And we do this. We do this in rest meetings. I talk about this over and over and over again. Every time we talk about communication, we say, leave your agenda out of it. Leave your agenda out of it. And families go, yep, yep, I'm going to leave my agenda out of it. Right. Right. And then they relay a conversation that they've had. And it's like, okay, maybe I didn't leave my agenda out of it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe I don't even know what that means.
1: Right, right, exactly. And that I think that's my point. Family members oftentimes don't really even know what leaving your agenda out
2: of it is. So let's start with that. Okay, so Lori, I'm going to ask you the question is, what does it mean to leave your agenda out of it? When you think about that, what does that actually mean?
1: What it means to me is when I'm in a conversation, I'm not thinking about how I'm going to respond to the other person. Instead, I'm listening. I'm really listening to them and to their point. And I'm being very curious and trying to understand what they're saying. And I'm often trying to find points where I can support this person, be understanding of this person, and I am the whole time, I am really trying very hard not to force what I think or how I think it should go.
2: Mm-hmm. It's funny, cause I had a conversation with somebody yesterday about this. They were like, but look, their life is falling apart. They're a mess. And this, they were talking about somebody who literally is coming out of a 30 day treatment. And it's like, okay, we need to set them up for the next step and make sure that they're moving forward And so they're like, why would I not say, well, do you have a plan or what's your story specifically? Like, do you have a therapist? That kind of stuff. And I was trying to explain why that's not the next step. You asking those questions is not the next step. There's a different way to ask questions. And as you know I'm obsessed with good questions. Like I think good questions are like this this key to get you out of so many difficult situations. So if you don't mind, if I could do a little question agenda here.
1: Oh, I think that's a great idea. I think it's a really good idea because I also think that when we talk about open-ended questions and asking questions, and I find that a lot of family members or and even I have struggled with this, How do I make my questions so that I'm not interrogating the other person? And how do I make them genuine? I don't want to just be questioning. And there are ways of questioning someone that you are now putting your own agenda in it.
2: Yes. So let's go because I've actually been doing open-ended questions literally since I was in college. And I always found them odd until I got older and I'm like, wait a second, this is actually very helpful. And so an open-ended question does not have a yes or no answer. It doesn't even have a specific answer. It's about giving the person an opportunity to actually think. That's really, when I think of an open-ended question, it's like you're asking a genuine question where you are watching that person process their own answer because you've given them so much space to come up with something. You're giving them opportunity to actually think and process. And here's the other thing is that when you ask a question, and this was a really hard one for me, is that you have to wait for the person to actually respond. Because if they're taking some time and this is a learned behavior for me, this was not my original response. If you ask somebody a question and they're taking time, don't assume that they didn't hear you or they're not listening or they're ignoring you. Assume the best, assume that they're actually thinking. So an open-ended question is like, what was this experience like for you is an open-ended question. How do you, what did you learn from it? Or what did you take out of it? A really good question is, how do you see taking what you learned and bringing it into the future for yourself? Or what do you think you need? What do you think you should do? What do you think would be best? And then once people start talking, it's like with, with the active listening that we talk about, when, once somebody starts talking, they're giving you, they're giving you data that you could then ask questions about. So for example, if somebody says, "Well, I know I need to go into treatment." Great. So then you say, so, you know, you need to go into treatment. What thoughts do you have about that? So you see how that's not, well, are you going to go into an inpatient? Are you going to go into an outpatient? Are you going to, and then you like have your, the inquiry
1: interrogation. Yeah. I often, we talk about open-ended questions and I often tell family members, it's going to require a description from the other person right i'm looking for questions that are it's going to require some sort of a description of what their thoughts are of what their feelings are about how they view something and then what we're doing is we're looking for just like you said we're looking for those little pieces that i'm curious about and i want to know what their thoughts are about that and get them talking about whatever that is and i'm waiting for that's the whole thing, though. This is not about going in and looking for the answers that you want. Yes. And encouraging the answers that you want. Right. About really hearing what the person is saying, genuinely, openly, being curious about it. And actually, you might not, on the other end of the conversation, come to a conclusion. It may end open-ended. The other thing you you bring up a really good point that I think people become very uncomfortable with you said that quiet that quiet time before someone is giving you an answer that you might see the person become quiet. One that's an indication that the question is doing is doing what it's supposed to do, which is inspire the person to think and process. Things. Yes. The other thing is I learned about that when I was in a high school math teacher, that if I would ask a question, that hands would go up in the air immediately, right? Like, I know the answer. I know the answer. And I learned early on as a teacher, I don't want them to give me an answer right away. It sets the other person up. It sets me up that things aren't gonna quite go the way I want them to go or go the way they want them to go. And they haven't stopped and thought about what we just discussed. So I would often say to my students before I would, and this is math. You would think, just give me the answer to the problem. I would say, okay, I want you to sit. I want you to look at the problem. I want you to think about it. I want you to write it down on paper. And I want to think about this next question. And then I would ask the question and I would say, I'm not looking for an answer right away. Quiet space is really good. So I'm going to sit back down. You guys work it through and then let me know when you're done. I was always trying to slow it down. Think guys, I want everybody in the room to think. And that's a lot of the approach that, I'm trying to get people in like rest meetings to do is look, this is an opportunity to slow everything down again. This is an opportunity for you to take a break and not force it.
2: Well, and I think uh, another part of this is that if we're looking to be part of the healing process, Okay, then what we're doing is we're modeling healing behavior. And if we're in a panic, if we are pushing somebody around telling them what to do, giving them direction that they may or may not want, then they're not getting any kind of additional skills. And we have talked about this in other podcasts where how do you become part of the treatment? And part of the treatment is people are learning how to process. Okay. And there's a couple of points when I was listening to you. One is everybody has a different processing speed. Some people think really fast. Some people think really slow. Some people say, I don't know as um, a time killer so that they could think because they're trying to get you to be quiet so they could think. And you're like, if you're barraging them with questions, they can't. So part of this is that we're being more in a relationship of communication with them. So that I also think that when I ask a really good question, it doesn't really matter what the answer is. If somebody is quietly processing and coming up with an answer, I've already succeeded. Okay. Because That's what I want. I want people to slow down and think. I want somebody to actually process themselves and whether they are able to say it to me or they're going to say something that I'm happy to hear or not happy to hear. It doesn't matter if they're doing that work, then the work has begun. It's like reframing what this work is. So it's not, oh, they're going to go into treatment and stay in treatment and be happy with treatment and stuff like that. The goal is that they're beginning to do things differently or they see you as somebody who is being of support in their new process to get clean or to change their lives or whatever. And you telling them what to do is not the answer to that.
1: So I love what you just said there because because I think to kind of sum that up, what you just said is when we're questioning with an outcome in mind that's when we're putting our agenda in the questioning when we're questioning with genuine wanting to hear the other person with genuine curiosity or trying to understand what they're saying then we're kind of leave it we're leaving our agenda out of it because we're more focused on the thoughts and feelings of the other person and not the outcome. It's redirecting questioning from the outcome, what I want to happen at the end of this questioning session, to just being curious and understanding about what the wants and thoughts and feelings are of the other person.
2: Yeah. And what I would do is call that process. That's process. So there's outcome versus process. So the outcome is what's the end goal? What do you want them to do? What did they want? What do you want? That's the outcome piece. The process is really helping somebody engage in this This process of like looking inside of themselves and learning how to ask themselves good questions. Because if they wind up with that without you involved, that's even better. Because they think about it. It's like when you're having a difficult time, like for me, I'm going off on a walk and I'm processing with myself. It's like, what's going on? Why is this so disturbing to me? What do I need? What do I need to do? I think we do that often and we don't realize that we do it. And I think what happens is if you have somebody who's got SUD, they're they're using their substances not to engage in that process or to not fully allow themselves to ask themselves those questions because they're in the avoidance mode of that. So anytime we set them up to be able to slow down and engage in that way with themselves. We're a support for their own process. It doesn't matter if they're saying it out loud, if they're slowing down and doing with themselves, we're already being helpful. So that's what I think. It's like, I don't necessarily have to know or even like the answer. But I'm helping somebody think in a particular way. And the questions that I'm asking, hopefully they're starting to take in for themselves. It's like, what do I want? What do I need? What do I think the obstacle is going to be?
1: There's one other thing that you talked about earlier, and I'm hoping we can address it as well. Is this thought by the family member or the, the peer or the ally that, well, my loved one's using drugs they can't think for themselves. (laughs) I hear this over and over, but their brain has been hijacked and they can't think for themselves. And this worry and angst that I have to do it for them. That's a huge barrier to understanding that, yeah, you may get some answers that are troubling, that are disturbing. I remember having conversations with my son and he would be telling me one thing in the morning And then by three o'clock in the afternoon, I would have the complete opposite story. And I found it to be mind boggling, but I still wasn't interjecting and putting my own agenda in. I was just listening and it was difficult to hear.
2: Yes. And don't we hate hearing things that we don't want to hear? Oh, yes. And so that's part of this is when we talk about the self-care portion of the craft model, then what we're talking about is how do we calm our systems down? That's the most important step in the self-care. If our systems are hijacked or agitated, we're completely useless. And so if we're listening and getting disturbed by what somebody's saying, and as I like to call it, getting jacked up and we're like, you know, when you want to just, you know, say, what are you talking about? Or how could you do this? Or don't you see or whatever we then shut the other person down. So, Whatever work we need to do on ourselves to be able to hold a safe space. Again, what the goal is is that we're becoming safe people for the other person to actually speak. Once that happens, then they're processing differently. It's kind of like people who have family members with Alzheimer's. Okay. You know, if you get frustrated with them or you start telling them, no, 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 your father's still alive, your father's dead, or whatever that people do. Why are we doing that? It's kind of like, just hold the space. So you're missing your dad. Tell me more about that. It's like, you just go with it. It's this more gentle way of being with somebody as opposed to trying to correct their path.
1: Right, right. Or conv- convince them they need to do it this way or yeah. Again, it's less outcome driven.
2: Yes. And also people don't like being told what to do. Remember that just look at yourself personally, when somebody says, oh, well, you should do this. I feel like, well, I have been doing blah, 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 or you don't understand. Or I go into this whole argument, even in my head about how judged I feel. And I think this is work that we all have to do kind of forever because it doesn't stop. But once we go into the advice, telling people what to do, wanting our outcomes to be that way, then we're really stepping on somebody else's power. And if we take away somebody else's power, they feel it and they feel demeaned and then they're going to be less effective Yeah, doing what they think is right.
1: To me, it's just reinforcing. It's just strengthening this dysfunction. It doesn't get anybody out of anywhere. And I agree with you. In the past, I remember thinking anytime someone starts telling me what to do, the first thought in my mind is, You have no idea what I have already tried and have not tried. So how do you know what I should or should not do? And that's that first thought in my
2: head. And that's everybody's first thought. So by the way, that's everybody. So if you're talking to somebody who's got an SUD, then what happens is they're like, you have no, I did go to treatment. I did go to 12 steps. I did blah, blah, blah. And it sucks or it doesn't work or it's not not for me. And it's kind of like when people say things like, well, you know, the 12 steps, I'm an atheist, so I can't go to a 12-step meeting. People say this all the time. So we have to respect that. And that's why when we're coming up with resources, we want to expand them out. Okay. We want to not just have three options because now what's happening is there's so many different possibilities for people. And when we open our box of what we're looking for in terms of making that treatment list, that's part of the craft process where we're going to make a list for somebody and have it available for when they're ready. Expand it. If you know they don't like 12 steps groups, then keep looking for other options.
1: Maybe one day we should do a whole, there's a lot of other options too.
2: That would be great.
1: Because I hear that as well. I hear a lot of, well, my loved one won't go to a 12-step meeting. And actually, to be honest with you, there's lots of other forms of meetings that are still 12-step based and people don't even know about them. And they are really not religiously based, not that AA in any or any of those are religiously based. Higher power, right? It's all about higher power. So maybe give us a summary of what we talked about today.
2: The way I would describe it is that we might have brilliant ideas about what we think somebody should be doing and we wanna provide our brilliance to the other person and our direction, but it doesn't work. We are brilliant. We are brilliant, we are brilliant. if you're listening to this podcast, you're brilliant. Yes, right. Listen need I to- say more? If you found us, you're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but brilliance is not the skill that we need in this situation, okay? What we need is openness. What we need is a willingness to hear from the other person. It's a willingness to provide space and opportunity for the other person to process. So once again, the tool is to back up. Be open, be receptive, and have a way to get the person to keep talking without interruption, without your feedback, without your intervention. So it's really about opening possibilities and noticing when you're asking a good question and when somebody's quiet and processing and taking that in that you did a good job, even if they don't talk to you.
1: So then, actually, maybe the old. The old saying in school where no question is a bad question isn't quite true.
2: Not for us. Not for us. for us.
1: Yeah, I never believed that anyway. But I also want to just remind our listeners that on the Allies in Recovery website, our challenge is still going on, our special. So you can listen to or watch half of the video modules, do half of the video modules on the Allies in Recovery website and do that in about a 10-day period, and you get a free five-hour training, which is worth around $250, but you get it for free if you do the video modules in a 10-day period, half of them, half of them. There's eight modules. All you need to do is four of them in order to get this training for free. Other than that, I want to wish everybody a wonderful, a wonderful day, And thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kayla.
2: Thank you, Lori. We'll see you soon.
1: See you soon.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.